Uh, as is our pattern, as um, we get started with the message, I'd love to invite your input on some things. I'm going to have a, a number of different, uh, different directions. I'd love your input, whether it's online, chatting, or uh, unmute, or in the room, shouting out. I want to think today about how do you and I deal with problems in life. So we go along in life and the problems come. Um, and some of us might find ourselves into the category of a pessimist. If somebody's a pessimist, how might they deal with problems in life? How, what's the reaction when something goes wrong? What would you say? Typical. Yeah, what was that? Complain. Yeah. Yeah. And well, what will tomorrow bring? If it was this bad today, right? We'll see more. How about if you were an optimist, what might you say? What was that? Can't get worse than this. <laughs> that, that's a cautious optimist. <laughs> yeah, other things an optimist might say or do. Tomorrow will be better. We had a book when our kids were young. Tomorrow will be a better day in school. That was the optimist book. Yeah, anything else an optimist would do? Say it again. Look on the bright side. Find the good in it. Good. So then what does a complainer do when problems come? Complain. <laughs> make sure, in detail, make sure everybody knows it's been bad, right? How about a revolutionary? What's the revolutionary do when there are problems in life? Blame the system. Find who's in charge and, and take them out of power, right? How about, did you know this idea of a plotter? Somebody who just says, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. What's a plotter do when they encounter trouble? They muddle through. What was that? Just keep swimming. That's right. The trouble comes, but we'll just keep pushing. That's good. Good. How about the problem solver? We can fix this. Yeah, let's analyze it. We'll work it out. How about the worrier? The worrier says, if I think and feel a lot about this, I think I can make it better. <laughs> I'll just keep thinking and keep thinking and somehow we think that will help. Okay, there's a really different direction. How about the entrepreneur? This is an opportunity and maybe I could make some money off of this problem. <laughs> That's right, and then sell it. That's good. That's good. So, silliness aside, what do you tend to do? How do you tend to deal with life's problems? And maybe you can think about this past week and say, oh yeah, there were a couple of days where there were some significant problems. What did it look like? What do you and I do? And maybe it's on this list. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's, I'm going to find myself to blame. There, I, I know I did something wrong that led to this. Or somebody else did something wrong. What did you do? And uh, what we really want to do today is to think about how are God's people to deal with life's problems? What is his approach that he wants for us? And very sincerely, we want to hear from him. We believe that God speaks by a spirit in his word. Beyond anything that I might say, deeper than that, through that, however it is, we want God to speak. And so I'm going to lead us in prayer and, and, and leave a time of silence for you personally to say, God, would you speak to me? 
today. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you have spoken in your word that we have the Bible and we have uh, your word through prophets and through apostles. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present with us. We ask that you would speak to us, that you would speak to us together and that you'd speak to each one of us that we would hear you and be changed by you. By just a time of silence for each to ask for his voice today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in our hearts today. Where repentance is needed, I ask that you would grant repentance. Where hope and joy are needed, I pray that you would give your deep and abiding hope and joy. We thank you, God, that you are merciful and good. Jesus, that you have come to bring salvation. And Holy Spirit, you apply that to our hearts. We ask that you do that today. And you are God, we pray. Amen. So the title today is Glorious Joy. And we'll talk more about this drawing in a little bit. We're in 1 Peter 1. And uh, I invite you to have that text um, in front of you. Let me just say a word about why we're in 1 Peter. Um, Last week we looked at 1 Peter 4. And 1 Peter's been on my heart, uh, this letter by the Apostle Peter. Uh, We celebrate the Lord's Supper today, sometimes called communion. And in our practice of celebrating communion, we, we look at six different parts of our relationship with God. We start by looking at the reality that God is the holy creator, God. And then we look at the reality of sin that breaks our relationship with God. And then the work of Jesus on the cross to give us the grace of God. And then we look at the, the call to have faith, to trust him. And then the fifth part is the call to to join his work in the world, to follow him. Jesus said, take up my cross, take up your cross and follow. And then the sixth part is my favorite. Uh, The sixth part is the one that we're looking at today. And that is to look at the hope of the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. And 1 Peter 1 gives us a wonderful picture of that. So I'll read the first 16 verses. Join with me um, on the screen or on your own device and then... Uh, We'll go back and just see a few things in this section. So 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, 
who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Well, let's go back to the beginning of that passage. I just want to highlight a few things. Uh, Peter says he's writing as an apostle to God's elect, to, to people that God had chosen, that God had, uh, had identified and selected. And yet these elect, he said, are exiles, that these are exiles who are scattered throughout all these place names that don't mean much to us. <laughs> but they meant a lot to the people. And if this were written today, it would be like saying to those who are living in, in Nigeria and South Africa and Thailand and Myanmar and the United States and all these places where you are scattered. And he says that you have been chosen by God the Father through a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be called to be obedient to Jesus Christ sprinkled with his blood. And, and he gives this wonderful blessing, this abundance language, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Have a whole bunch of it, lots of grace and peace to you. And just to highlight one thing from this, I love how he expresses the Trinity, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. The whole Trinity is working for our abundant grace and peace. And yet, these people are scattered exiles. And so the question is, what are we to do? It sounds like we have great blessing, and yet it also sounds like they're living in real trouble. And so the next verses, Peter says, well, praise be to God. Praise be to God, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why should we praise God when we're in trouble? He says, because all the hope we have is based on his mercy. His great mercy, he says, is what God should be praised for because he has taken action for us through the work of the Son, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's what God has done. His mercy through the work of Jesus Christ, he says, is for an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 
It can never go bad. Right? We all know the experience of, of buying something that goes bad far too quickly. <laughs> the, the, the vehicle that was supposed to serve us for a long period of time and all too soon, it, it can't do it. Right? The, the, the thing that's so valuable and then it breaks and we, we know that everything we buy, it tends to perish, spoil, and fade. But he says, you've got an inheritance that that'll never happen to it. Furthermore, he says, you are shielded by God's power. You as the one who will inherit this have God himself protecting you for it. That, that, that we see here that, that our unspoilable inheritance, and, and I love the image of an inheritance, it's ours, it's just not in our hands yet. God has an inheritance for you, it's just not in our hands yet. We're not experiencing it yet, but it's unspoilable. And it's entirely based on God's mercy and protected by God's power. It's not ours because we're good or that we have a strong enough faith. It comes through faith, but it is by the mercy of God and we're shielded by his power. And so that's why it started out, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if the foundation of our salvation, of our hope, was that we had enough faith, then we should be praised. If it's because we were good enough, then we should be praised. But God is praised for our salvation, not us because our salvation is based in his mercy, the work of Jesus, and his protection for us. So I just want to dig into this for a second. So, so Peter was writing to people that he called God's elect. He said, you are God's elect. You, he says, who have faith in Jesus, you're adopted as God's children. Right? You are owned by God in the sense that, that now your problems are his problems. You are his. And this adoption, he says, it's by God's mercy and God's choosing that you were elect. God took the initiative to say, I want you. I want you to be in relationship with me. And he accomplished this through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he says, for all of these people, they will inherit the overwhelming riches of heaven. You've got an inheritance that is beyond imagination. Beyond compare, that is for you because you are God's elect for all who have put their faith in Jesus. And yet he was writing to people who might say, yes, that's true, but that's not what it feels like. That's not what it looks like. He was writing to God's elect who were exiles and who were scattered. Right, so an exile is, these are people who are living away from their true homeland and not by choice. Right, some of us, choose to live in another location. We choose to do that for school or, or for a love of another place. And sometimes we make this choice. But sometimes it's not by our choice that, that we are expelled from our land. We can't be in the place where we want to be. And this is the experience of being in exile. And, and he, he says, I'm writing to people who long to be at home with God in his presence. But that's not where they live right now. They're living like exiles in a foreign place. And he says that they're scattered. And the image in the Bible of being scattered is to be unsafe. It's to be unblessed. When people are scattered, this neutralizes their power. This makes them vulnerable, makes them afraid. He says, I'm writing to people who are exiles. They are God's elect, but they're living away from that homeland. They wish they could be there. They're living scattered in a way that leaves them vulnerable and afraid. 
He's writing to people who are living in a broken world. One of the debates about this book is to what degree were these people literally exiles in, in their own lives? Well, they were away from the homeland. But we don't know a lot of the details. But we do know that God's people live as exiles. Peter says as, as foreigners, as strangers in a land that's not our own. He says God's people, God's elect are living as outsiders. They're, they're treated as though you don't belong here. You're not supposed to be here. You're different from us. He's writing to people who sometimes were rejected. Sometimes were attacked. He's writing to people who are exiles. And they're God's elect. And so in some sense, they are exiles by God's choice. Peter is writing to people who say, we believe that God has blessing for us. We believe in this salvation that we have in Jesus. And yet... It's not what we daily live with. It's not our experience so often. We are like exiles who are scattered. So what does he say to people like that? And he says, well, praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, God is to be praised. He says, God is to be praised because by his mercy in Christ, he's given us a glorious inheritance that can never be lost. And he protects us for that inheritance by his power. Right? He says, this is an inheritance that cannot be harmed, cannot be taken away, because God's protecting it. He has his shield around it, and he has a shield around you to protect you in the times when you have the sense, I'm living as a foreigner. I'm living as somebody who is not at home, and I'm not at ease with the world I live in. The values are different. The approaches are different. And sometimes they reject me. And he says, but but praise be to God, because you've got a spot in the homeland. You've got the spot in God's kingdom that's guaranteed for you, and you are protected for it. And so Peter says, yeah, of course we rejoice in this, yet we still do suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And, And I love the expression of all kinds of trials. It doesn't say, well, the only trials that really matter is when you're persecuted as a Christian. That's one really hard kind of trial. But that's not the only kind of trial that's hard for an exile. It's also hard when the values don't align or I should be living as the child of a king. And yet, I don't have that experience. He says, you have grief of all kinds of trials. He says there's something special about that grief. For a Christian, he says that that grief... It it plays this important role that it proves the genuineness of your faith. You see, if if we said, well, we're really excited about God in heaven, but we're kind of starting to feel pretty at home here. And so maybe heaven could wait a while and we'll just enjoy ourselves here. He says, I'm not sure if that faith is genuine. The faith that's genuine is the faith that says, but this is a broken world. It's not like God. It's not like his ways. He says these trials show the genuineness of your faith. When you continue to say, God, I want your ways and I want to be at home with you. And yet I live in a place that's broken. I live in a place that's not doing your will. And that grieves me. And he says, when you see that, that proves that this faith is a gift of God that is a part of you. He says we struggle sometimes because we can't see Jesus. 
Right? We don't get to see him physically. We don't get to experience him the way the, the first disciples did. And yet, he says, you believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He says, this is what it should be like. It, it should say, yeah, we can't see him right now. But there is such a joy that I can't explain. And yet it's full of glory. See, the reality is God's kingdom is our true home. And until then, we will experience trials of various kinds. We'll experience them in every aspect of life, in family life, in work life, in in our physical health, our emotional health. Even in the church, we're going to experience trials of various kinds while we wait our true home. And Peter says that when these trials are met with faith, They help to prove the reality of our life in Christ that says God has a better way. He is at work. He is doing things, but I can't see it right now. But the faith that says, I still believe in that. I still love him. Proves the genuineness of the work of God in our hearts. And so then in verses 10 to 12, he talks about how the prophets saw this coming because the prophets saw the sufferings of the Messiah. And they saw the glories that would follow in this, this mysterious combination for them in the prophecy that says there's a Messiah who's coming who's going to suffer and die and he's going to have glory. And the prophets tried to make sense of this. In fact, he says the prophets searched intently. They're like, what does this mean? And yet what Jesus encountered is exactly what Peter describes for his people. That, that there is a glory to come. There's an inheritance that is an amazing thing. And yet, for a while, there are trials. There is suffering. And so he says the the, the prophets were trying to figure this out. It didn't make sense to them. And I'm fascinated. He says even angels were trying to figure this out. Even angels longed to understand what we now know, what we now see. I love this expression that the prophets and even the angels longed to know what we now have. This mysterious blend of our inheritance in the midst of difficulty that comes to us through Jesus who through difficulty purchased our inheritance. And so then he says, therefore, this is what you should do. He says, set your hope. Choose to place your hope. And he says, choose to place your hope on the grace to be brought to you. This is what you do when you live in a world of trouble and you say, I believe in God and what he has planned and the work that Jesus did, but it's not the life I'm living. He says, set your hope. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. And as I've wrestled with this, I realize I've had a pretty simplistic understanding of grace and salvation. See, grace and salvation, it's more than a one-time gift. The way I think it's really helpful to think about it is it has a past. There's a past tense to the salvation we have in Jesus that we are cleansed from sin and given Christ's righteousness. This is a one-time thing that we are given and it's a wonderful gift to have this guilt removed from us so that we no longer go go around saying, oh, if only I could fix my past. If only I could change the things that I've done. He says, once and for all, we are cleansed of that. It's a burden removed from us once and for all. There's also a present tense aspect to this grace and salvation. That that the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit lives in us. 
This is a grace of God that comes to us in the present. And then there's a future tense to this grace and salvation of God's perfect kingdom in its overwhelming glory. So I just want to walk through that again. So grace, God's grace and salvation has a past, a present, and a future. Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. What a beautiful gift. What an amazing gift to say those who put their faith in Jesus Christ when they do that, they have already crossed over from the category of death to the category of life. And so Romans says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Our faith in Jesus Christ means that sin and death and judgment no longer rule over us once and for all. What an amazing gift. What an amazing thing to say. That's gone forever. No more condemnation. That's in the past. And it has the effect forever. But what a joy it is to receive that. And then in the present tense, we read in Hebrews, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That there's a present tense aspect of of our grace and salvation in Christ that God is with us today to strengthen and protect us, especially in our times of need. We can say each day, His grace today is enough. We experience the present tense of God's grace and salvation. And in the future. Let me read these words from Revelation. That that John, when he saw this, I think was overwhelmed with the beauty of this image. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself, will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I love the power of this that says God himself will be with his people. Not at a distance, but in the immediate presence. He says that God himself will wipe away every tear. Not a messenger. God will be sending a prophet or a pastor to say, oh, would you comfort this person? And I'll be there present as you do that. He says, God himself. God himself will give health and wholeness and community to each one. He will be a place where this is perfectly experienced. John said, there is something so amazing that's coming in the plan of God that will be free from all trouble and mourning and crying and pain. All of that will be gone and God himself will bring the blessing. And we wonder, well, what will it be like? What could this space be like? What could this experience be like? And and I love this expression from 1 Corinthians 15. Someone will ask, well, how are the dead raised, right? And we wonder those molecules, this decay, and now the molecules are somewhere else. How do you reconstitute bodies? And we wonder, 
He says, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. I love the metaphor he uses. He says, you know, when you plant a seed, I I eat apples sometimes and we have some dogs that beg. And so they get the apple core when I'm done. There's two of them. So I split the apple core in half and they'll, they'll do anything for food. They could not care less about seeds. If I break the core in half and a seed falls out, they, who cares about seeds? Give us the apple, right? Paul says, when we think about the resurrection, we should think about an apple seed. And to think that apple seed, my dogs who do anything for food, they don't even care about seeds. They're so small and insignificant. But you plant it and it grows. And it becomes a tree that, that has loads of apples and has apples for years. It's in abundance. And so he says, this is how we should think about our bodies. Our bodies are like these apple seeds that, that aren't really worth anything compared to the glory of what will come. Right? We don't know the details, but we know it'll be so far beyond, so much better. You can't even compare it. And so I would suggest to apply that same idea to our earthly lives. Our earthly lives just don't matter. They're so small compared to the glory of our lives in God's kingdom. There is a future tense to our salvation that says we have no idea the glory that is coming. We have no idea the goodness of it, the fruitfulness. God's grace and salvation has a past, a present, and a future. And we have new birth in Christ into a living hope. Right? We, we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Our future tense, we have this. And it's kept, it's protected, it's military language. God says, I won't let anything touch this. And... Peter says that God is shielding us by God's power through faith until that inheritance becomes our lived experience. And all the joy of when this idea becomes our life experience. Peter says, set your hope on that. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope on this. He says, this is where it's at. This is the work that God is doing. This is what it's all leading up to. God's newborn children have an imperishable and amazingly glorious future in Christ. And that future brings hope today that's joy-filled, God-praising, and life-transforming, even when we experience various kinds of trials. Right? He says, you have an inheritance that's so far beyond your imagination that it should bring joy today. It, it should lead to us praising God. It should change our lives, even in the midst of the trials we have today. And when we rejoice in that, it proves the genuineness of our faith. Okay, so this drawing, uh, thanks to Karen for providing this. Um, do you see what this is? It's a special kind of airplane. 
It's a pedal-powered airplane. (laughs) So somebody's up there pedaling like on a bicycle, pedaling away. I would suggest, I've seen this in me, and just maybe it was in you too, is a faulty view of our salvation. Right Here's the faulty view I see in myself of our salvation. God has given us a pedal-powered plane. And he's given us a push so we could get started. And he says, now it's on you. Right? And if we pedal hard enough, really hard, and if we fly really carefully, it just might work. Right? And I spent much of my life saying, okay, let's do this. And I'm pedaling away and I get tired and I mess up. Oh, no. Well, let's get back at it. Let's try to make this work because he's provided a plane and he gave us a good push. But this is a faulty view of understanding what's happening. But, but the faulty view gets worse when our wing looks like that. Right? We discover we don't have a perfect plane anymore. We, we realize the holes that we've put in the wing. And we know we can't last long. But it's actually even worse than that. Because then we look up on our wing and we discover, eh, there's some people who are working against my salvation. There are some people who think I'm getting too much good. There are people who judge me. Right? It seems that other, working, other people are working against this plane flying too. And when I see this, I realize there is no hope of making that plane fly forever. And so the question is, am I going to make it to the end? Am I going to keep this plane going? And, and I don't know, Karen did a wonderful job adding the detail. This plane was getting lower and lower at each one of these uh, progressions. So now we're just skimming across the top of the grass and just holding on. The reality is, if we hope in anything less than Almighty God, we're guaranteed to be disappointed and to fail. And that's true for everyone. It's true for everyone we love as well. This is a faulty view of what it takes to get salvation, what it means to keep salvation. So I think Peter gives us a wonderful image. He says, here's God's view of salvation. It's a last will and testament. Right? It's an inheritance that's been signed over to our name. God says, I give you an inheritance, and it's in your name. Once you put your trust in Jesus, that inheritance is yours. And that inheritance is Jesus' inheritance. It's limitless wealth and glory of his kingdom. It's saying, you belong there. That is home. That is an inheritance in your name. Entirely based on God's mercy. Not on your goodness, not on your perseverance, not on your worthiness. It is God's mercy. And he says, here's the inheritance you have. It's untouched by death. Death cannot stop this. The death of Jesus, the death of of each one of us, death can't stop this. Evil can't stain it. Time can't impair it. We are guarded by the power of God through faith until we get it. He says, this is your inheritance. Put your hope in that. Rejoice in this. And again, I can tell you things that are real for me. I don't know if they're real for you too. But sometimes we may think, even though we know better, sometimes we may think our future is only as good as we are. And some days that's not very good. Right? There, there's an expression that says that, that when we get to heaven, we'll discover that God takes us to our home and that home will be built with the materials that we sent ahead. <laughs> Right? So if we sent lots of things to heaven giving to God, then there's lots to build this house with. And if we didn't, well, it might not be a very big or nice place. And I think this sometimes affects our thinking. We think the future is only as good as we are. And Peter says that's not true. 
Sometimes we think life after death is just a bit better version of life today. And sometimes people say, well, who would really want to live forever? That's a long time, and I'm getting tired of life. <laughs> right? And sometimes we think, maybe heaven will be kind of boring. I don't know. Maybe nobody else ever thinks this. But we think, that'll go for, on for a long time, and we're going to sit and, and worship at church service that never ends. Maybe it's especially for people like us who aren't very good, it's going to be boring. Other people, they're holy. They'll love that long worship service. But the rest of us, uh, I don't know. Sometimes we might think we've already experienced from Jesus most of what we'll get from him. And it comes from a good statement. We receive eternal life when we believe. But then we might think, well, so this is it? (laughs) This is what we're getting? And we think, okay, it's all right. It's better than the alternative, but we wonder. And I think sometimes we actually think it's bad or maybe selfish or presumptuous or unholy to hope for something more. To hope for a joy in the presence of God, we think, oh, that sounds kind of selfish. Maybe we shouldn't do that, but these ideas are not from God and they are not good. Right? God's newborn children have an imperishable and amazingly glorious future in Christ beyond our comprehension. And that future, seen well, gives a hope that is joy-filled, God-praising, and life-transforming, even when today is challenging. So it is a good thing to have great hope in Christ for life after death. And in fact, it's a command of God. He says, set your hope fully on this salvation, on this inheritance. So the application is very simple to understand another to live it. The application is to set our hope fully on our future home in God's perfect kingdom forever. Set our hope on that. To say, that's what I'm living for. Not that I could get a good job and and be able to afford the house and and have a family. Those are good things. He says, don't set your hope on that. Set your hope on this inheritance that is ours, that is beyond comprehension, that we're being guarded for. And this hope will be joy-filled. So again, I've done learned so many things. Joy is not always the absence of grief. I've so often thought that. Joy will come when the grief is gone. But that's not what this passage says. It says that we rejoice in the midst of the griefs, even though we have to suffer these griefs. That usually joy comes by bringing future joy into today's griefs by faith. To say, knowing that future says, even in the grief today, I can rejoice. And it does take a work of the Holy Spirit. And it does take a strength of soul. It takes a strength of soul to to take tomorrow's joy and bring it to today by faith. And I think that strength of soul very often comes through exercise of faith. This is not something we say, oh, I get the idea, I'll start doing it. (laughs) It comes by growing our faith. And so this is why rejoicing is usually a choice. Uh, Rejoicing is a command to be obeyed rather than a spontaneous experience. So Philippians 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice, a command. Choose to rejoice. And it comes by setting our hope on what God has in store, his inheritance that he has planned. 
Right? He describes it as an inexpressible and glorious joy that comes by hoping in our inheritance. So we're to choose to hope on what will come to us in Christ, by Christ. So just let's do this for a second. In Christ, in our inheritance, there will be no more sorrow. None. Gone. Forever. Never a circumstance that would bring sorrow to us in his presence. In other words, the fullness of joy. This is what is offered to us. He says, that's what's coming. It's guaranteed. I'm protecting you for it. There will be no more division. No more time when families refuse to be a part of each other's celebrations, when families can't talk to each other, when when friends walk away, when churches split. There will be no more division. There will just be full unity in Christ. There will be no more loneliness. None. There will be perfect community in Christ. There will be no more destruction, just a productive, fruitful, flourishing life for everybody in Christ. He says in his kingdom, there will be no more injustice or evil, just perfect justice and mercy in Christ. And if your soul doesn't long for this, plead with God to breathe life into our souls by his spirit. We are made for this and he promises it. He says it is yours. And especially I find at times I say, if I could purchase this for people I love, I would give all I have. And I can't purchase it. But this is the offer of God for ourselves and for the people we love and for every person who will put their faith in Christ. And so here's what I've learned. Too often, we long for far too little rather than for for too much. God intends for us an amazing, joy-filled future forever. Our inheritance in Christ is beyond words in its glory. And so I think this is why Paul in Ephesians says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's heaven. That's the new kingdom and the new earth. Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As we set our hope fully on our future home, it's joy-filled. And it is a God-praising hope. This great hope is from God and it's by God, but it's for us. This is a work of God that he gives to us through faith. And so that's why he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we set our hope on him, he says, this is what moves in us to give him praise because we get to see what he has done. So let's tell God our praise in Christ. To say, God, it's an amazing thing that you've invited me into this. I don't deserve it. I don't belong here. But praise be to you that you have done this amazing work. And and, and we're to tell God's people, God's glory in Christ, to point each other to say, this salvation is beyond our comprehension. Do you know it? Let's remind each other of it. Let's set our hope fully on it. And we're called to tell the world God's glory in Christ. Genuinely praising God in faith to do this brings joy to our souls. And it invites others to experience his joy as well. We're called to set our hope fully on our future home, on our inheritance. It would be joy-filled, a joy-filled hope, a God-praising hope, and a life-transforming hope. That when we hope in God, we will come to live like God, to be holy. And note, this is not in order to get the riches of heaven 
Right? This isn't, I'm going to get to be a better person so I can get a better outcome. Instead, we live like God because the riches of heaven are ours forever. And the Bible tells us that to see and to know God is to be transformed by him. To set our hope on him will transform us. And so our prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, if you use this regularly, use this daily, your will be done. And I'm learning to say your will be done through me in every space I enter. Wherever I go, would your will be done that your joy would be known. And to be more and more like God is to share his pleasure. Right? We're to set our hope fully on our future home, our inheritance. It's a joy-filled hope. It's a God-praising hope. And it's a life-transforming hope. Because we have an imperishable and amazingly glorious future in Christ. That brings this hope that is joy-filled, God-praising, and life-transforming. So I go back to my first question. So how are we to deal with the various kinds of trials? The difficulties we experience this week or that we'll experience this next week or this afternoon or maybe even before we leave this place. How do we respond to these things? Well, I think it is right and good to trust in past and present grace. To say there's no condemnation for me now. There's no condemnation for any who are in Christ. And when I have need, I can go to the throne and say, I need help and I'll receive it. And then it is to hope in the future grace, the coming glorious kingdom of Christ. Right, this, this future hope, this inheritance that is untouched by death, unstained by evil, unimpaired by time. So good that even the angels would love to see the way we do, to experience what we get to experience. So I want to tell you about a conversation I had yesterday. Went for a walk, uh, going around the neighborhood. And interesting things led to a conversation with one of my neighbors. And he said this, no one knows what happens after death. Maybe it's better, maybe it's worse. We don't know. And sadly, I have to say that my response to him showed so little joy and anticipation. I stepped into an analytical mode and you know, I started to say something about, about preaching today and, and my wrestling with this passage. And I realized I am not at risk of wanting my inheritance too much. Maybe it's possible to do that. I don't think so, but I'm certainly not at risk of that. My heart is not driven to say, I have an inheritance that is kept for me, that's beyond all comprehension. It seems that I want it far too little. Right? What, I, what I want to say is that Jesus Christ died and rose again. He did that to give us the guaranteed hope of a fantastically glorious life in his kingdom forever. That's his design, and that's what Jesus did. It is an amazing gift for all who put their hope in Christ. It is a gift entirely based on his work. It is offered to us. And when we choose to set our hope in Jesus Christ, it does bring this increasing and inexpressible joy even in our trials. When we set our hope on this inheritance, it brings praise to God. And when we set our hope on this inheritance, it changes our lives to be more like his. Until that day that the inheritance is in our hands. Until the day he takes us home forever and says, here is your place in the family of God, in, in, in his presence, in his community. And the question is, will you join this joy? Will you set your hope fully in him? 
Let's pray. Just invite uh, you in a time of silence to, to talk with God, to listen as he speaks. Father in heaven, praise be to your name. You who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to your great mercy, you have caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by your power are being guarded through faith until faith is no longer needed. And that inheritance is ours by sight and experience. We give you praise. Cause us to hope, to set our hope fully on this inheritance, on this salvation that will be brought to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.